Hello, I'm... <coughs> You're listening to Undertelly with Oleg Novak. Mount Cola's fastest growing Aussie TV podcast. Hello, I'm Oleg Novak and welcome to a bumper three-part edition of Undertelly all about LGBT and ethnic representation in Aussie TV. I'm not attracted to girls. Yeah, bro, we know. I used to have to delete your porn off the computer. Our special guest this week is Sid Sharma. He's the co-founder of Fob Gays, that's friends and family of brown gays. They're a grassroots community network that Sid set up with his family to create visibility and support for family and friends of LGBT people in the South Asian community. Over the past two weeks, I had the absolute pleasure of introducing Sid to the goldmine of Aussie TV that is Neighbours and Home and Away. You know we, belong together. we set out to find out just how good our favourite soaps do at showcasing diversity on screen. Look, if this is about the sausages... Well, of course it's about the flaming sausages. But before we take a deep dive into Home and Away and Neighbours in part two and three, Sid and I spent part one chatting more generally about diversity in Aussie TV. How Fob Gaze came about. Sid's role models growing up, and the importance of LGBT and ethnic representation on the small screen. Sid, welcome to Undertelly. Hello, thank you for having me. Sid, I've just made you sit through an entire week of both Home and Away and Neighbours. How did you find the experience, generally speaking? I think it was long overdue. Um, <laughs> I have grown up in Sydney for 22 years without ever having watched Neighbours or Home and Away, but been surrounded by a bunch of people who have watched them religiously. So I think this was kind of like a reckoning, you know? It needed to happen. Absolutely, and it's great introducing a friend to some great Australian drama. Sure. Sid, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna have a look at these episodes in further detail, but before we get mm -hmm. to Home and Away and Neighbours, I wanted to maybe focus on Fob Gaze for a second, if we can. Absolutely. What is Fob Gaze and how did it come about? So Fob Gaze is a, as you mentioned, a grassroots community network for friends of brown gays. And basically what that means is that we're kind of like a support group as well as a group that's trying to spread more information out there in the South Asian and the gay community about, you know, what the South Asian gay experience is like. And we're trying to rally more people to get behind support for South Asian gay, lesbian, queer, bisexual, all kinds of non-heteronormative people. Because unfortunately, whilst we've enjoyed so many advances for, I guess, mainstream white gay society or queer society in Australia, there are some communities, mostly communities of colour, that are still lagging behind in their attitudes towards to queer people, really. And so we thought, yeah, something needs to be done about it. So how did it come about? How did you go about setting it up? I am obviously a uh, queer person of colour myself. And when I came out to my family, one of my family members, my cousin Geeti, she really wanted to make my experience in life as a gay South Asian man, especially in my family and my family experience, she wanted to make that as normal and as seamless um, as hers would be. And so one day she was at the Mardi Gras last year and, you know, when she got back home from it, she was talking to her mother about it and her mother said, why aren't we in it? And, you know, she kind of um, student on that idea and after she pitched it to me I was like hell yeah let's do it and so we put in an application we got accepted into the biggest Mardi Gras ever and from there it was like okay well we've got this amazing platform let's try and turn this into something much bigger than just Mardi Gras you know let's try and actually rally support within our own community as well. That's awesome. And I guess it's friends and family of brown gays. And that's so nice that it's actually you've set it up with your friends and family. That yeah. just gives it that extra layer of not only credibility, but it's just so nice as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's really lovely to see people of all different generations and all different upbringings and, you know, like even South Asian backgrounds coming together 
and and celebrating their queer friends and family you know like it's a it's a really beautiful thing especially because in our culture we are so community focused you know our identities are inherently tied to the idea of our family and our friends you know we can't just be individuals existing in a vacuum and so you know like the 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 night of the Mardi Gras for instance seeing all those people in the marshalling area just dancing and having fun and then seeing all the all the fob gays out there interacting with you know all the other parade members dancing down Oxford Street clapping hands it was it was a really really great experience and hopefully we can take this momentum and turn it into something really meaningful and what is six down the track? Do you guys have a goal that you're kind of aiming toward, like a specific tangible one? What is what does success look like for you guys? That's really interesting because I think that success in terms of um, achieving rights, I mean, it's probably already happened, right? Because if you look at same-sex marriage and if you look mm. at the mainstream society attitude towards gay people or queer people, it's kind of already there. But success for us is about making things like gay or intersex or queer people accepted in our society so i'd love to see more gay weddings i'd love to see more openly transgender or openly queer people existing in their families and in the community i would love to see more of that being represented in film and television and i think that really is the goal and whilst at the moment we're just focusing on australia i think there's really a lot of things that we can do to try and work towards that how important is lgbt and cultural representation in the media Oh, massively important. I think any kind of representation, especially a diversity of representation, it's so important to have because media is, I guess, the biggest vehicle that any of us have for information, right? And it's also a great leveler because we all watch film and TV, even if we're not all watching the same programs. The fact that we kind of interact with them, it's it's a great way to learn more about new things or different things, right? And so to see more South Asian people or more queer people represented in film and television in a diverse way, it would be really important in actually encouraging more accepting, appreciative attitudes in our community. How good a job do you think Australian TV does in terms of LGBT and ethnic representation on screen? Uh, look, I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's doing an amazing job at the moment. There have been nuggets of gold though, you know, like Ever since I was growing up, one um, one example that comes to mind is like, you know, SBS news reading. I mean, I know that the whole MO there is is to champion diversity, mm. but just to see news readers or, you know, program presenters who aren't white and who aren't, well, mostly men either, it was, I think that was really instrumental in shaping my attitudes towards what is acceptable in TV, you know? Um, I grew up watching SBS um, and ABC because of my parents. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But otherwise, like another really great example of um, of Australian TV doing it really well from the start, I think, is... Did you ever watch High Five? Yes. Yeah. It kind of like... Cause it started in 1999, right? So yeah. I was seven, so I was maybe kind of getting a bit too old for it. No, you're never too no. old for High Five. No, that's, my, that's rubbish. My favourite was Charlie. She was the best one. Yeah, look, mine was too. I had a massive crush on her. I loved her. And then, actually, I started to really enjoy Kathleen. 
Um, yeah, Kathleen. And yeah, I don't know. I just thought that she was so cool yep. and down to earth. And, you know, only recently as I've become more kind of aware of how important diversity and yep. representation is, have I started to appreciate the kind of effect that she had, you know? Like, she wasn't just the token ethnic person, but she was there being completely normal. She wasn't turned into a stereotype. And I think that's kind of, it's really important, you know? Because people of color are just like white people. <laughs> we have the same kind of, you know, ambitions and goals and the same ways of behavior. Like, why shouldn't we be represented on a level playing field? And I think that's exactly what she did. I was going to ask you if you had any role models growing up, and you've kind of mentioned, you know, High Five and SBS Newsreaders, which is great because there's some nuggets of diversity there. Was there anyone, was there any LGBT or any intersection of an LGBT and ethnic person in the media that you kind of looked up to? Did that exist? And would that have been massively helpful for you as a young person, ethnic Australian, um, LGBT person growing up? Look, unfortunately, I don't think that I did have any... Um queer role models in TV, mostly because I I just don't remember any existing. And if they did exist, then they were they were given that real stereotype stereotype treatment in a way that just was never relatable for me. And so as I was kind of finding my own my own rhythm and you know finding out more about who I was, none of what I saw through TV and film really resonated with me. Also, I would say that mostly while I was growing up, I watched more animated. Um, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Bananas in Pajamas, Daria, The Simpsons, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> this might be divisive at the moment, but I really did enjoy Apu because I was ah, like, yeah, yeah, look, he looks like me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I, I can't really say that I did have a role model, but I can appreciate that in this day and age when that kind of thing is happening and we are seeing more diversity, that it is having a massive effect on people you know it's having a massive effect on how people see themselves and how people see where they fit into society when we see characters such as ourselves mm. reflected in the big screen hey hey you're abu nahasapima pedalon aren't you is it true you once worked 96 hours straight oh yes it was horrible i tell you by the end, I thought I was a hummingbird of some kind. Oh, yeah, you know, I studied your old Speaking of Apu, because I know that's a big con controversy at the moment, there's mm. been a lot of talk about it. What is your view on that situation? I think my view on that situation is, I think it's, it's, it's pretty mainstream, right? It's that, yes, okay, there are some things about Apu that are problematic, specifically the fact that he is voiced by a white dude. And I think... I've had a lot of feedback from my friends saying, okay, why is it so divisive that he's voiced by a white person? And I think it's because when you do have the chance to have ethnic representation on television, especially in today's day and age, it's so important for that representation to be done in a way that consults with the community that it's representing, right? And so to have someone like a poo being voiced by a brown person, there are just small things in... Um, the voice acting or in the behavior that I think a brown voice actor would have control over, which I don't think that the, the White Simpsons voice actor has at the moment. But I don't find Apu problematic in the way he's portrayed. I think stereotypes exist for a reason. And I think at times Apu can be really funny. And I also think that Apu can be really insightful as, you know, kind of a, a, a migrant in America. Like he has some really interesting nuggets of wisdom that he brings out about the American dream. All right, here's your last question. What was the cause of the Civil War? Actually, there were numerous causes. Aside from the obvious schism between abolitionists and anti-abolitionists, economic factors, both domestic and international, played a significant... Hey, hey. Yeah. Just, just say slavery. Slavery it is, sir. <laughs> yes, I am a citizen!
I do find it problematic though that for the longest time Apu was the only brown person on mainstream television and so that kind of stereotype of the Indian convenience store owner, you know, full with an accent and with 500,000 children, that was the only way in which South Asian people were depicted on, on TV and I think that that is problematic because it says that is all that South Asian people are, you know. My whole idea about what's going on with Apu is that it's fine to have stereotypes exist on the screen, but it needs to be counterbalanced by a diversity of what that kind of cultural background is actually like, you know, or what that kind of person um, or that kind of community is really like, you know, and the same thing goes for queer people. Like we can't just have stereotypes exist on, on screen. We need to have a diversity of the characters from that community. And I guess it's equally important to have ethnic people and LGBT people behind the camera writing these stories because otherwise it, you've run into that danger as you kind of hint on there of being a tokenistic kind of portrayal of things and not authentic. Absolutely. In the same way that a brown voice actor would have lent some kind of veracity to a poo and his character through voice acting, I definitely think that, you know, more people of colour or more, um, I guess, minority groups actually in control of the writing and the directing, you know, and the production even, if they were given that chance to have that input, could have a really massive effect on on the way in which these stories are told and how you know how genuine they can be what about now sid do you have any because we talked about if you had any role models growing up is there anyone in the media now on australian tv that you look up to that's a bit of a role model for you either an ethnic australian or an lgbt australian or both this this is going to sound incredibly trite but i really really like leland chan yeah. i think <laughs> you know she it's it's almost like she didn't get the mo about what the what the stereotypical TV presenter is meant to be like, you know, and she's just off doing her own thing. Quirky, she is, you know, queer friendly because I know lots and lots of people from queer communities love her, and she interacts with them in a really genuine way. She owns her own kind of, you know, unique characteristic, and I love that. I love that she's going against the grain on that, and I think that's really important, and we want to see more of that. Do you like Lee Lynch's asymmetrical outfits on Facebook? I definitely do. I'm not sure whether um, that person's been posting as much. Mm. I would definitely love to see more of a resurgence on that page, please, if you're listening. <laughs> Coming up in SBS World News, the Liberal Leadership Showdown. And it's interesting you mentioned Lee Lynch because I agree with you. One, she's amazing, but also removing her ethnicity, etc., etc. I think as just as a newsreader, she has a certain gravitas about her that a lot of newsreaders don't have in Australia. Like, you go back 20 years, we had newsreaders like Brian Henderson, I'm nerding out here, um, Ian Ross, etc., etc. Nowadays, it's all... They all kind of... There's nothing that special about them, but she has this X factor when you hear her read the news that she has this credibility that makes you pay attention and she does a great job. Yeah, it's all about her intonation and the way in which she presents the stories. It's it's not as formulaic as you think. And I like that, you know? I like that she is completely different to anyone else that you would see. The other obvious person that I'm going to mention is Walid Ali Sid, who everyone is... He's often the first person that you think of when you think of, oh, some ethnic background person on Australian TV. I guess because on commercial TV, if you look at today's show, Sunrise, all the news on commercial networks, there's not really anyone. So he stands out. He definitely does. And I think he stands out at times for the right reason, but mostly for the wrong reason. And that is that he's just a, you know, he's a lightning rod, rod of controversy. His opinions, whilst genuine and 
generally reflective of what young Australians think are always criticised in the massive broadsheet newspapers or on, you know, current affair programmes for being apparently divisive or being too controversial. And I just don't agree with that. Like, I, uh, Wally Dilly is great because, you know, it's really important to have him on a, uh, uh, on a, on a panel show like The Project on 10. Yeah. Um, but I just wish that people could get over the fact that he's brown and that, you know, he's a Muslim and, like, just listen to what he has to say because, you know, he actually has some really important insight. The TV Week Gold Logie goes to... I think, was it last year or the year before he won the Gold Logie? Waleed Ali! And that was pretty special to see. Did you follow that and how did, did that make any impact on you? I did not follow that, unfortunately. I don't know anything about the Logies. Oh, um, you're missing out, man. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, yeah. Well, no, you're not, but actually, no, you are. You are. I'm sure some people <laughs> such as yourself would say so. There are Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I did not know that, actually. I I think that's awesome. I think it's it's great that he got that on the merit of his actual work rather than you know, being a person of colour. You should check out his acceptance speech as well. It was pretty special. He, what did he do? He referenced... When someone who is in this room, and I'm not going to use their, the name that they use in the industry, came up to me, introduced themselves, and said to me, I really hope you win. My name's Mustafa. But I can't use that name because I won't get a job. He's here tonight. And it matters to people like that, that I'm here. And I know it's not because of me. I know that. That does not surprise me at all. I have friends who have actually changed their name on their resumes. I mean, they're not even in film or TV. They just want to get retail jobs. But, <laughs> but unfortunately, yeah, like as soon as you've got, a, you know, an ethnic sounding name versus an exotic sounding name, there's a, there's a difference there. Why do you think it is this way how deep is the issue and why do you do you think network executives are scared of putting people of different ethnic backgrounds on screen or lgbt people do you think it comes the issue is with them or that it's a deeper issue because i know in many interviews sometimes uh for example i was reading this interview i think it was the executive producers of the block and they were talking about how there's it's generally a very white show in terms of, in terms of the reality cast that are on it. They mentioned that it's generally white people are the predominant predominant amount of people that apply. So therefore, they have that's the pool they have to choose from. So I guess the argument there is: Do people of ethnic backgrounds and LGBT people perhaps not apply because they don't feel they'd have a chance? So therefore, it's a bit chicken in the egg. We'd need to get more people on screen so that more people would think they'd be able to do it. What's your opinion there? You are completely right about that because. You know, if you're not going to have ethnic people apply, of course it's going to be a white show. But if you're not going to market the show to ethnic people or make it relatable in the first place, then of course no ethnic people are going to going to apply for it. You know, I mean, my parents, for instance, let's take them as a as a case study. They love renovations. They would watch that stuff like day in day out. They'd marathon that. But I don't think that they find the block accessible. You know, and I I don't I really don't know what to do about that. I I you know, whether affirmative action and actually trying to to get some ethnic people in there. Um, I know that might be controversial as well, but if no one is applying, we need to get that representation on there in the first place so that it can be a relatable show. And like, if I was to see, if I was to see 
an ethnic person on a show like The Block, I would be interested and I would watch it and I would talk about it with my friends. You know, I would talk about it with my parents, but we just have not had that opportunity for it yet. So yes, it is a chicken and the egg situation, but it's a bit of a runaway situation as well, right? Like how do we change that without actually fundamentally having to, to change the practice of casting? Two points in relation to that, Sid. One, I think specifically around The Block, if you go back to, so it started in 2003, the first series, I don't have my notes in front of me. I think their names were Gavin Was. They had one of the four couples on the show was a queer couple called Gavin Was. And that was pretty big at the time, 2003, 6.30 time slot on Channel 9 after the news before 60 Minutes. It was rating like 2 million views. It was then I think it was the number one show of the year. How old were you at the time, Olek? Were you 11? I was 11, correct. Yeah, right. Did you watch The Block at the time? Uh, no, I wasn't like, I was aware of it and I was aware of them and I would have had it on in the background perhaps, but I didn't, I was, I've never been massively into those renovation reality shows. Of course, of course. Well, I mean, I did not watch the block at the time because I was only eight and doing homework probably, but. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it, it depends on, on the type of characters that were cast, right? Because obviously, yes, it's a massive step to get a gay couple on such a big reality TV show. But it also, I mean, within the queer community, there are people who are more acceptable and people who are less acceptable, right? And so kind of you've got this this almost like pyramid, right? And at the top of the pyramid, you've got the kind of more masculine acting, white, you know, muscular guys, the ones who, you know, you can knock back a couple of drinks with at the pub, the ones who you could, you know, go and play some footy with, that kind of thing. And the reason why I think that characters like that are a little bit more easier to get characters like that on television is because, yeah, like they, they are... It's, it's almost like they're not gay at all, you know, like the gayness or the queerness is kind of, you know, swept under the rug of masculinity instead. So I haven't seen what these characters are like, but I'm assuming that they were kind of like that. I mean, was, was, was there a lot of reference to the fact that they were gay on screen? difficult for me to comment because it was 2003 and I'm just kind of referring to it anecdotally but Mm. look I think it was clear that they were gay Mm. they didn't hide that of course and power to them you know like they were obviously breaking some serious ground in terms of Australian film and television representation so I think it's great that they were on there I actually maybe would be interested to to go and watch that now. Referring to my notes, they all the Australian TV networks, I think it was at the end of last year, they signed this thing, it's called an SDIN, a Screen Diversity and Inclusion Network. They all joined it. So basically it's an industry charter designed to encourage greater diversity both on and off the screen. And it sets targets for industry change. And it also evaluates progress via sector-wide measurement tools, whatever that means. And in order to be a member, an organization or any of the networks that did all sign it, they need to officially commit to the charter. Obviously, quotas can have pros and benefits. Everyone's got an opinion about quotas because you don't want to just have a tick the box kind of situation. But with initiatives like this, do you think they have a place? What's your opinion about them? Do you think it's a good thing? Something like the SDIN is really, really important to have. I think of the story of um, Sharon uh, Johal, yes. um, the actress on na- uh, Neighbours, actually. Yes. Um, I was reading up on her and she was saying that actually breaking into the Australian film and TV scene was really difficult for her initially because the, you know, like the small number of parts that she was going for, they all wanted her to be a stereotype or they all wanted her to, you know, just kind of fit into this very narrow role within a wider narrative. Something like the, like that agreement is important in encouraging more storylines that actually naturally weave in more people of color or more minority groups into larger narratives in a way that will hopefully decrease the types of experiences that 
that she had or the types of experiences that, for instance, Aziz Ansari details in Master of None, you know, about how people of color get typecast for taxi drivers, convenience store clerks, that kind of thing. It will be interesting to see, I mean, it's only been six months, right? Yep, six months. It'll be interesting to see how the agreement looks and, and what change looks like in, I don't know, I mean, a year's time, two years time, because obviously um, bringing new programming to air is a long process, right? First you pitch it, then you write it, and then you, you know, you film it and produce it. But yeah, I mean, hopefully we are going to start seeing more genuine and more diverse representations of of all kinds of people on Australian film and television. We've touched on Australia, Sid, in terms of how we're reflecting diversity on screen. What countries are doing it better than us? America, uh, specifically, what's your interpretation of how they're doing it? And is there anyone else internationally that you think we can learn from? I definitely think that um, the US is leading the way on representation of minorities in film and television. Like, if you look at it, Mindy Kaling has her own show, you know, and she's a, a brown, well, she's a woman of color. And I think that's amazing. Like, that's that's two doors or two glass ceilings that she's broken through. Aziz Ansari, sad as though the allegations against him are, the fact is that he's doing awesome things with Master of None. You had a big ticket Hollywood film, uh, what, like 10 years ago, Slumdog Millionaire, which was about India. It was set in India. It was about that storyline. You have Dev Patel going on and doing amazing things like Lion. Fine. I mean, you know, he, the, the fact that he's Indian is brought up um, in the narrative, but I don't think that there's any, there's any problem with that. In fact, calling that out, calling that out and actually kind of exploring his identity as, you know, like a an ethnic person living in a white country is really interesting. So yeah, I think that Hollywood and um, and America are really, you know, forging a way ahead in terms of how we represent minority groups in television. Even if you look at, for instance, gay characters, like there are so many shows about um, about queer people now. And I'm actually glad to see that no two shows kind of treat their queer characters as the same stereotype, you know, like before it was all kind of, well, actually even Will and Grace, Will and Grace does a, a, mm. a great job of that because even the gay characters in there have such a, uh, a such a massive range of, of personalities and of behaviours and of characteristics. I think it's great. What about in India? Do you follow any soaps or any programming from there? What's the situation like there? Okay, so India has historically always had gay or even intersex characters in their in their films, right? Um, I think specifically of this movie called Dostana. It was released in 2008 or 2009. And it was about two guys who fake being in a gay relationship in order to get an apartment. Um, There's an it, Australian movie that I think with Michael Caton and is it, oh, the Crocodile Dundee, I've got a mental blank, Paul Hogan, where they pretend to be gay to get tax cuts or something. I'm wondering if there's any... Oh, probably. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Bollywood, Bollywood rips off, you know, foreign yeah. cinema all the time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that film was released, what, like 10 years ago now. And the, the treatment of the characters in there, again, when they were pretending to be gay, was really reductive. Like, it was all about the, the camp jaunty scarves and, you know, like the the lisp and everything. And, and yes, there is definitely a section of the queer community that is like that. And that is great to celebrate them. But I think, as I've been saying this entire time, it's important to have diversity of representation. So definitely now you're starting to get more of a, uh, I don't know, a realistic interpretation uh, of, or 
portrayal of gay characters like I think of Kapoor and Sons which was um, it's a recent film and in it actually it's about two brothers they're estranged and one of them is gay and he's living in London with his partner and it's not the focal point of the film but just the way in which he comes out to his family or the way in which he lives that double life initially and the kind of way in which um, his relationship with his family changes but not for the worse I think it's done in a really good way and a really realistic way and I think it's a great way of of detailing the story of, you know, the the kind of the migrant gay, if you will. Mm. Like, in my experience here, especially through fob gays, I've met so many people who have um, migrated to Australia who are, you know, people of colour who are gay, who are lesbian, who are queer, and who have not yet come out to their families in India. And I think that something like Kapoor and Sons really kind of sets the pace or, you know, sets a conversation for how that could happen and how that could be handled. So I think they're, they're now starting to kind of pick up on new ways in which to di diversify and represent queer characters on the Indian screen. But I still think that there's a bit of hesitation in doing it. Like it's not nearly as saturated as Hollywood would be. But you know in India we're starting to get more of a nascent rights movement for LGBTIQA plus people. So who knows, we might see more of that happening. It sounds like a really beautiful film. You should watch it and I'd then do to. an episode on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. And we can do an Undertelly International special. Yes. Which would be great. And I'm trying I to, could host. <laughs> you, yes, guest host for a week. And I'm trying to think, Sid, of you mentioned that like the intersection of like the films about uh, ethnic and LGBT kind of identities. I'm trying to think like what in Australian media has kind of hit that. And I'm thinking the only two that come to mind I don't know if you've seen Barracuda. Nope. Really good. It's based on um, ABC drama. I think it was last year. It's a four-parter um, based on a Christos Cholkas novel. There's that. And there's also, I don't know if you've heard of Head On, Head on which I haven't seen in full, but it stars Alex Dimitriades. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's about a Greek Australian um, in his 20s dealing with his super conservative um, ethnic family and his sexuality. Oh, right. That sounds really interesting. Mm. It's um, pretty full on. And that's produced by the ABC, is it? No, that was... The Barracuda was ABC, and this one was a, just an Australian film. Ah, was, great. Yeah. Yep. And I think, Sid, that is a perfect segue. You, know we belong together. you mentioned earlier when we started that you haven't had too much engagement with Home and Away and Neighbours and Aussie soaps generally, or Aussie drama generally, growing up. It was kind of through your friends, right? Yeah. Do you think you would have engaged with them more, and I think you did hint on this earlier, if they had more characters like yourself on screen, people of ethnic background, more LGBT characters? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, as a as an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old just kind of sitting in front of the television after The Simpsons, it never really consciously came to me that the reason why I always turned neighbours off was because I didn't see anything that I related to in there. But... I mean, that's that's inherently what it is, right? Like, why do we watch anything? It's because we're interested in it. And why are we interested in it? Because it could have some kind of potential information for us. You know, it could, could be comedic information or it could be dramatic information or whatever. Like, at the end of the day, it's the fact that we relate to the information in there. And I definitely think that having more characters that I could relate to in there would have at least allowed me to, to make that connection and go, yeah, that's interesting. I want to get around to watching that, you know? And... Even just recently finding out that there were brown characters on Neighbours, I actually want to follow their storyline now. And by extension, I want to follow the entire narrative now. And this is kind of embarrassing, but I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very excited about that.
And that was part one of our bumper three-part special on LGBT and ethnic representation in Aussie TV with Sid Sharma, the co-founder of Fob Days. Join us for part two as Sid and I take a deep dive into the murky television underworld of Home and Away. Until then, be sure to give Fob Days a like on Facebook. You can find the link on our Facebook and Instagram page and also be sure to give Undertelly a like if you haven't already. But for now, I'm Oleg Novak. I'll catch you flaming galahs for part two next time. You're listening to Undertelly with Oleg Novak, Mount Cola's fastest growing Aussie TV podcast.